College Products presents The Giants of Philosophy, narrated by Charlton Heston. This is number one on St. Augustine. The year is 386 A.D., the place, Milan, Italy. Imagine you're looking into a garden by the home of a well-to-do Milanese citizen. Suddenly, a man in his early 30s comes rushing out of the house. He's obviously distraught, beating his forehead, tearing at his hair. Then he stops, stares fixedly at his outstretched arm, and with great deliberation, clenches and unclenches his fist. For some reason, this makes him cry out in exasperation, pound his forehead again. Then he throws himself down by a fig tree and bursts into a flood of tears. He cries for some time, but then suddenly quiets. He raises his head, listening, confused. Then he seems to hear a sound. A look of eagerness comes over his face. He gets up, dashes back towards the house, picks up a book he'd left lying there. He rips the book open, glances at the first page he comes on, and suddenly his face is bathed in an expression of peace and bliss. We've just traveled back in time to witness one of human history's great turning points, the conversion of Aurelius Augustine. He was to become the famous Saint Augustine, Bishop of Hippo Regis in his native northern Africa, and one of the Western world's most influential thinkers. Augustine would remind us that we've witnessed his conversion only from the outside. What's really going on here, inside the man we've been watching then? Obviously, some drama of interior torment is being played out behind the facade of these grotesque gestures. In his autobiography, The Confessions, written some ten years later, Augustine himself looks back on this scene of inner conflict and how it resolves itself. Behold, I heard a voice coming from a nearby dwelling, the voice of someone, boy or girl, I could not tell, repeating in a kind of sing-song over and over. Pick it up, read it, pick it up, read it. I got to my feet, for I took this to be nothing else but a command from God, that I should open the book of St. Paul's epistles and read from the first chapter I should stumble on. Now Augustine tells us that his eyes immediately fell on one particular capitulum, what we'd call in English a chapter subdivision or chapterlet. I snatched up the book, opened it, and silently read the first chapterlet on which my eye fell. This chapterlet was from the 13th chapter of a letter which the Christian apostle Paul had written to the Roman church of the first century. That letter has since been canonized as one of Christianity's inspired writings, and it was known as the Epistle to the Romans. The entire chapterlet ran from verse 11 to verse 14, but in spite of having read verses 11 and 12, Augustine actually quotes only verses 13 and 14 in his Confessions. Here, literally translated, are the verses 11 and 12, which he passes over. And knowing that this is the time... And now is the hour for us to rise up from sleep. For our salvation now is closer than it was when first we believed. For night is passing and day approaching. Let us, therefore, cast aside the works of darkness and garb ourselves in the armor of light. 
Now we come to the two verses Augustine actually quotes. Let us walk honorably, as in daylight, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in promiscuity and licentiousness, not in contentiousness and mutual envy, but garb yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for your fleshly concupiscences. That entire chapterlet from the Christian Scriptures, both its quoted and unquoted portions, struck Augustine powerfully. It seemed nothing less than a providential answer, point for point, to the tormenting issues behind that scene in the garden. As we'll see, Augustine, at the time of this episode, had lived, like many young men and women, a life of intellectual pursuits, of satisfying accomplishments, even of earthly delights. But he'd found no meaning in any of these. His conversion episode was to change fundamentally how he looked on life and the rewards it offers. The answers he found were to influence philosophers, theologians, and ordinary people right up to the present day. As a young man of 32 years, Augustine was struggling with the problems of finding philosophical and religious truth. His pious mother, Monica, had striven to raise him in the faith of the church that Augustine refers to as the Catholica. The term Catholic means universal. For Augustine, it designated the constellation of local churches spread from end to end of the known world, which maintained contact with each other and with the Church of Rome. This universality differentiated the Catholica from a number of heretical sects, which tended to stay confined in some particular locality. Augustine's difficulties with Catholic teaching drove him out of the Catholic Church into one such heretical sect, which was called Manichaeism. From there he drifted into the despair of skepticism. His intellectual and religious wanderings nearly broke the heart of his saintly and determined mother, Monica. But faithfully, persistently, or to be candid about it, obstinately, she plotted after him, first to Carthage, then to Rome, and finally to Milan. In Milan, however, all of Augustine's intellectual doubts and difficulties were finally resolved. In mind, in intellectual conviction, he'd already returned to the Catholic Church of his childhood faith. What caused him agony now was his moral impotence. He found he was able to will, to accomplish by willing, all sorts of external bodily actions, but at the same time he was incapable of mastering the spiritual impulses within himself. Paradoxically, the will could effectively command all of his powers except itself. If I tore my hair and beat my forehead, I did so because I willed it. Yet I did not succeed in doing that which attracted me as incomparably more desirable. It was easier for the body to obey the soul's slightest command than for the soul to obey itself and to accomplish wholly within the will a great act of willing. Thank mm -hmm. you.